the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Business talk during the day. Then we kick back and relax in the evenings. The Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. An appeals court is allowing the Biden administration's asylum rule at the southern border to temporarily stay in place. Here's White House correspondent Greg Cluxton. Under the rule, migrants are generally presumed ineligible for asylum unless they use a government app to get an appointment or they've already tried to seek protection in another country. Critics have argued that the rule endangers migrants trying to cross the U.S.-Mexico border and is against the law. That is correspondent Greg Cluxton. Former President Trump delivered a defiant speech just a day after his third appearance in court for a criminal indictment. The fake charges put forth in their sham indictment are an outrageous criminalization of political speech. This all it is. You make a statement, oh, we have to indict him because he said we were dishonest. Let's indict him. And the former president spoke last night at an Alabama Republican Party dinner. This is SRN News. Turn market volatility into opportunity today by investing with the big institutions, not against them. Many people are getting taken advantage of by Wall Street. Learn why their returns are so much better than the average novice 401k investor. Learn the skills to be a better steward of your own money. Call for a free in-center or virtual investing class today at 952-814-4410. Call Online Trading Academy at 952-814-4410 or go to learnwithota.com. There are no words to describe it. The isolation. The boredom. The loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate, teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. Do you want to make a difference in your community? Volunteer with your local fire department. Operational and non-operational positions are available and training is provided. Anyone can be a volunteer. You just need the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. When your community needs you, will you be there to answer the call? Learn more about volunteering at makemeafirefighter.org. That's makemeafirefighter.org. Portions of the following program may have been pre-recorded. Come on, rise and shine. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? It's going to be a great year. Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. Is it safe? It's the King Banyan Show. This is a man. Your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. My mind is aglow with whirling, transient nodes of thought. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. Welcome back. Second hour, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Thank you for listening today. The sun's come out. I do think it's going to be a great day. Hopefully it will be where you are, too. Uh, 651-289-4477 on a job Saturday. Um, And what I was saying at the end of the show was um, 
at the end of the excuse me, not the end of the show, but the end of the last hour of the show, this last hour, was that I think the way we talk about the job market, particularly wages, and and even this bit about productivity, is wrongheaded. Um, I should point out I'm trained as a macroeconomist. I was trained to talk about aggregate this and aggregate that. I'm, I think as uh, as I've aged I, as an economist and human being, I think I've, I've come to the point of view that there's a limit to what those tools can do. I don't think they're useless, but I also don't think that they can solve many of the problems that economics has with trying to describe and better better for most people predict the world we live in because we do we have the desire to predict and people say well economists shouldn't forecast and i say but we will and they're like but you shouldn't and i said there will always be a desire tell me what happens next right it's as natural as trying to look at the end of the of the spy novel to see whether or not your guy gets out right was he going to live for another day by the way, it reminds me, I just finished uh, last week the uh, new Dan, Dan Silva novel, if you haven't. Oh, it's good, as they all are. Okay, but it's one of those things where at the end of the previous book, last summer, I have like a group of three friends, all of whom are also into into Daniel Silva. Um, and we all read it. When we read we've all read it. We all go to coffee, and all we talk about is the book for... 30 or 40 minutes and then find out how our families are doing and get on with our day. Uh, but we're having that coffee this coming week. I was the last one to finish. That's how good the book was. And I would say, um, I would say though that, um, it's natural that you want to check the end of the book. And I've come to the, finally to the point this year is the first year where I didn't, I just sort of knew, well, He's now arranged it so that we never really have to say, I don't think he's planning for us to say goodbye to uh, any of the characters. We haven't lost, uh, we haven't lost uh, Gabriel's mentor, uh, Ari. Uh, we haven't lost Gabriel himself. We haven't lost any of the characters, right? So I don't think the characters are ever going away. All right. And if you haven't read the book yet, and I just, I just gave you a spoiler. Well, I'm sorry about that. If you hadn't figured out he's not killing them off, then, well, you're you're probably not reading it well enough. Anyway, 651-289-4477, the number to call with questions and comments. I just realized in the middle of that, wait, some people might not have finished the book yet. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a great, it, it's one of its better ones, if you ask me. Um, so here's the thing, right? Forecasters are going to forecast. People want to know the answer to those things. And so what, uh, what, when I hear someone from the National Economic Council, an advisor to the president, show, listen to a model of what, how she's describing the economy to her boss, or formerly to her boss, and, and it's not working, and I think the model's wrong, I want to talk about it. So let me play this again. This was Jennifer Harris, who used to be on the National Economic Council for President Biden, describing how the jobs report yesterday actually is kind of a vindication of Bidenomics. Let's play that again. Cut two. When you look at uh, the labor um, productivity rates uh, that have just come out in the last few days, you see uh, real gains in productivity. These are, these are meaningful uh, numbers, and I think they are coming in part from a shift towards higher wage, higher productivity types of jobs. These are better jobs. Uh, when you put this next to the GDP numbers that have, that have come out of there are still very strong. Uh, all of this, again, as inflation is cooling, uh, I think points to a, a new economic model at work. This is Bidenomics at work. And I go and look at the same data that she's looking at, and I'm like, I don't think so. Professional and business services were down 8,000 8, 8, workers. And remember, that inside that number is the 22,000 that were, excuse me, in uh, in temporary help. 
So almost all that changes in temporary help. But you know where a hundred of the hundred and seventy-two thousand private sector jobs were? Education and health services. The part I find interesting about that is, and I work in the education sector, and I, I, I'm probably not supposed to say this, but I will say this. It is awfully hard to measure productivity in the in the education sector. It is awfully hard to measure productivity in the healthcare sector. So what you're saying is these education jobs are better, these healthcare jobs are better, might be true. Might be true, but as I look at the as I look at the data there, construction up 19,000 uh, manufacturing was down 2,000. Leisure and hospitality is slowed down. It's still below the level that it was pre-pandemic, but it's already slowing down so that some of that wage increase numbers that we're seeing, that bounce back up, is in part because the number of people being added in the education and health sectors, which pay better than the leisure and hospitality sectors, are now overwhelming the numbers of people going into leisure and hospitality. So that wage increase number that people are looking at has a problem of composition. The composition inside the number may be too great, may be influenced by, the composition number is influenced by shifting of where your labor is being hired from month to month, from quarter to quarter. Which is why I think the productivity data that people are quoting right now is also problematic. If I look at manufacturing sector out, just at the manufacturing sector, that data has actually been with negative, negative manufacturing productivity over, over the last year. Real compensation for people, generally speaking, is still down three tenths percent year over year, and the way that that product, the way you can pay people more income, is by having each each worker produce more stuff within a unit of time. That's what productivity is. It's output per unit of time, or per worker. That's what that's what productivity is. And the question really is whether or not that productivity has increased enough. <clears throat> um, whether or not that that productivity has increased enough to cover the increase in prices and the increase in wages. So if I look at the data on productivity that's out there. The productivity is the productivity data is going to tell me that the headline number was, "Hey, look, productivity was up 3.7% in an annualized rate, right? Output rose, number of hours declined, so that increases output per hour. Output per hour on over the last year is at 1.3%. I think I've done with you before the exercise but we'll do it again. The exercise is, is what I teach my first-year students called the rule of 70. Take any number that you think is going to grow at some percentage per year, divide that percentage into 70. The answer will give you back the, the number of time periods it will take for that thing to double. So if I make an investment in a, in a security that gives me a return of 7%, I divide the 7 into 70, and that says the value of my investment will double in 70 over 7 or 10 years. Right? Productivity is a fundamental measure to tell us how quickly an economy can grow over time in a sustainable way. If the economy is growing at 1.3%, if productivity is growing at 1.3%, we can pay wages that grow in real terms at that 1.3% 
without causing any change in the share of income that goes to labor versus capital. And that means that labor and capital will double their they will double their lifestyle. Their lifestyle their their standard of living will double in seventy over one point three or let's make it one point four so the math's easier fifty years. It takes two generations more than two generations for the standard of living to double. Now, you might have a couple questions about that. I have a couple questions about that. One, that feels really modest. What was it like historically? And two, is standard of living really measured well by looking at this number productivity? Does this really tell us what we want to know? Let's take a break. We'll come back after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz, 1440. From South St. Paul to Southeast Asia and Little Canada to regular-sized Canada, we're where you are. Listen to The Biz 1440 anytime, anywhere at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Looking for a new way to give back to your community, learn new skills, and make a real difference? Consider volunteering with your local fire department. The majority of U.S. firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers, answering the call when their community needs them. Be part of a dedicated team of volunteers who step up and protect their community from all types of hazards. You can be the difference. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Aside from helping your community and being there for those in need, being a member of the Volunteer Fire Service provides many benefits, including an opportunity to learn new skills and join a family that will serve with you, always have your back, and train you to be the best version of yourself. Your community needs you. Will you answer the call? Learn more and find a local volunteer opportunity at makemeafirefighter.org. That's makemeafirefighter.org. Yeah, Invergrove Hyundai, they have an amazing service staff. Incredible. Hey, I'm Javon from Megan. All in all, um, the entire staff is so friendly. I mean, you have young people to even elders. They really are like, like good people. They have really, really good hearts. So Tyler is someone that I would highly recommend. Uh, he'll, he'll remember your name, too. <laughs> I have a Hyundai Sonata 2020, and uh, the services that I've gotten on there is uh, oil changes. We had to switch out the chip maybe once, and I, I probably had a, like a, a check engine light, and I wanted to get it checked on, but they never give me a hassle. They're just like, hey, come in. One thing I love the most about Invergrove Hyundai is any place you go, that if they remember you, then you're significant to them. Even if you don't think you are, they'll make you feel like it. You'll feel right at home. Invergrove Hyundai's service technicians are ready for you no matter what kind of vehicle you drive. Open 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. weekdays. Call them today or schedule your appointment online at InvergroveHyundai.com. That's InvergroveHyundai.com. America is giving away its inventions and technology to China. The Chinese Communist Party intends to surpass us and to be the world leader in innovative technology. The shocking new movie, Innovation Race, exposes the potential Chinese takeover of 5G and the Internet, threatening America's economic and military security. Dominating technology means you dominate the world itself. Watch the movie, Innovation Race, now on demand or DVD at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What is dedication? I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Welcome back. King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. That music makes your head go like this and like that, doesn't it? Yes. 651-289-4477, the number to call questions and comments uh, today. Um, let me uh, let me continue this, this 
train of thought for a little bit because I I do want to talk I want to talk about two things. First of all, first of all, what what gets involved in in, in measuring productivity because we're trying to measure the amount of output per hour, right? And there are two impacts here. One is it allows you to sort of think about what would be the non-inflationary rate of growth of wages. And so it's pretty simple math. If you think on average your economy is going to grow at, you know, its productivity is going to grow at 1 to 1.5%, that will drive, that underlying number will drive what you think the underlying growth rate of GDP will be. And then that means in a world where you're trying to target 2% inflation, you want nominal rate wages to rise at 3 to 3.5%, somewhere in there, which makes 4.5% still too high and more consistent with an inflation rate around three than two. Now, there are people that would rather us have a 3% target than a 2% target. I'm not one of them. I'm not, but that's not my, that's not the point I want to make today. Okay. But my point is, my point here is that productivity doesn't necessarily measure what it is you're trying to get at. Because while it, part of this is simply the inability of GDP to pick up changes in how we live from goods that we actually don't engage a market transaction to do, right? So, example, example, um, network effects. A whole lot of our, much of our lives have been changed by the fact that we could converse with each other. I've been conversing in the last, in the last hour with one of our listeners through Twitter or, or the platform formerly known as Twitter or whatever you want to call this thing uh, that, that, that uh, Elon Musk is running. And as I listen, as I read uh, this, these comments from my friends, I realize how much of my life is really made valuable by this. I, I will remind you, what the King Banyan Show is a market transaction only insofar as the station has ads it uses and gets paid for to run during the show. It pays the people down, down, in, the, down in the station, but it doesn't represent the value of the transaction to you and me. I do not... I do not receive income for this. I, I will be very open about this. I don't receive income for this show. I've never wanted it. Okay? There was a previous part of my life where I would have wanted it, and I probably would have said, no, I'm not doing it unless I get paid. I reached a point in my life where the chance to actually talk economics to people is something that I value as, I think it's, does it give me pleasure? Sure. It's also, to me, a professional responsibility. Um. I'm in, I'm I'm paid by I'm paid in part by uh, the state of Minnesota to educate people on economics. I think that's kind of what I'm doing here. That doesn't show up in a productivity measure. That doesn't show up in measures of the standard of living. But it doesn't mean it's not real, right? When I converse with people over, you know, when I converse with with with. Don or Lynn or Frank or some of the people that talk to me through through uh, the, the the platform no, formerly known as Twitter. Um, it's going to take me time to learn how to say that. Uh, it's um, it's not anything other than uh, it's not measured as a market transaction. Indeed, that's what that's what Musk is trying to do. He's trying to take something that generates a lot of benefits and doesn't that's not monetized and turn it into something that is monetized. My life doesn't become better because it's monetized. Our standard of living doesn't improve because it's monetized. It doesn't really measure everything that you could you could think about. But there's more to this than that. Because the productivity measure is, 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 again, it's a an amalgam of millions of transactions in which you, the worker, and me, the employer, come together and say... I am willing to take the risk that I might not be able to sell what it is you produce. In return, you will get a steady income 
you will produce something for me that I will sell. And whatever I have left over after you're done with your production and I've paid you, that's mine. Right? The employer takes the risk, gets in return for that, in return for that, gets sometimes a higher income and sometimes a lower income. Right? And the productivity measures we use don't necessarily pick that up. So I listened to a couple of other comments. I want to play the last two cuts I have here today. Uh, one of them from CNBC, and I believe she was on just before the jobs number was announced. This is Lindsay Piexa. We've we've had her on before. She's an economist at, at Stifle Investments uh, on CNBC. And when she was talking about, and this is where she's talking about the Feds and the wage price spiral. And let me turn to this. This is cut three. Yes, we see wage inflation, absolutely, perpetuated by the notion of demand-side inflation. But there's other components stemming from supply size, stemming from what the market is calling greedflation or corporate policy. That's outside of the Fed's purview. The Fed isn't able to control those factors. So right now, for policymakers, they're focused on the components of inflation that they can control. And one of those largest components is that wage component. Because Fed officials very much fear the wage Wage price spiral, where wages continue to rise, but prices rise in lockstep, continuing to elevate the, the cycle of inflation. So for the Fed, that's the primary focus. That's their primary focus and the focus, they, what they control. But they're just, but this is to point out, wage inflation is a very imperfect measure of the tightness of labor markets. And it's not a perfect measure of how to measure what's happening with inflation, because as Exit points out there's lots of things happening in inflation that are not the result of demand policy. I agree with that. I agree with people who say it's supply. But my point is it's both supply and demand. And in the balancing, I hear a lot of people trying to say it's de- it's more supply than demand. And I'm like, I don't think you know. I don't think you can know that. And I can make a plausible case that it's more demand than supply. It doesn't mean I think it's ap- that that story is absolutely true. It just means I see a balance there. Let me uh, let me play one more clip. We often play Muhammad El and he was on. Um, so while while I'm watching uh, the CNBC talking heads as the job report comes out, uh, El Arian is on on uh, on Bloomberg yesterday morning and talking about what uh, what he sees and what he sees as. Uh, this issue of of wage increases let's play cut number four so we can accommodate this four percent wage growth provided productivity picks up provided more is done on the supply side and i think this is how we should be thinking I really, I really worry when the when the debate gets narrowed to just wage growth and inflation. Um, it has happened in the UK as well, as you know, John. But the debate is, should be much wider and should bring in other elements that promote productivity, that promote economic growth. Uh, so the the point there, the point there that uh, I think um, I think needs to be made that I think. Elarian's making is we have job we have um, wage growth that happens for reasons other than the demand side that's certainly true it's also the case again why I emphasize the millions of transactions and why I did the story about about Bidenomics being the jet dropping uh, fertilizer and as one commenter suggested, organic fertilizer uh, over over the field. There are lots of places where we're unable to add workers for very specific reasons that frequently have to do with regulation. If you think you've got issues on the supply side, those issues are frequently things that can be dealt with through regulatory policy. And not at all through, not not really dealt with through uh, uh, monetary policy or even fiscal policy. There needs to be a balance uh, of approaches here. 
But when you say, as as El Arian said, we can support 4% wage growth, first of all, understand that depending on how you try to filter the data through moving averages, you could argue that we're at 4.4, 4.8, um, somewhere in there, where which is well above 4%. You would argue that that in a world where you have productivity at 1.5%, 2% inflation means you should be getting wages down to 3.5% tops. We're still a full percent above that. And if we were to stop raising rates, maybe we get stuck with 3% inflation you know, for the long run. That's very, very possible. But if you want to get the productivity rate up to 2%, which sounds like what he's talking about, you could support 4% wage growth if productivity were to rise to 2%. The answer to those things are not found in monetary policy. They're probably not even found in fiscal policy. They are found in, in changing the regulatory structure so that you can find better ways in which people can connect with each other, specialize in trade in a way that, that improves both them and maybe even other people in the economy as well. We have not had that. That is not at all a part of Bidenomics. And indeed, for, the, you know, for those of you that, that wait for me to say something nice about, about former President Trump, here's one thing I'll say that is nice. The Trump record on regulation, at least up to the pandemic, was pretty darn good. And you actually did see increasing wages. You actually did see increasing productivity. That was that increasing productivity after after a fire hose of regulation had really dampened it in the first half of the 2010s. We started to see some turnaround in that by 2017, 2018, 2019. 2020 just killed everything and then we had the election and and the, the new people uh, are increasing regulation rather than decreasing, and that's a problem. Look, I need to take a transition here to talk about something else, and I'm actually going to use use a caller on the line at 651-289-4477 and do that. Hang on the line, John. I'll get to you right after these messages here on the King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. And in the process, started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. If we take you as a client, I guarantee we'll cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-626-5252. That's 800-626-5252. 800-626-5252. More than 80 million Americans count on AM radio stations like this one for news, important weather updates, and the opportunity to discuss and debate important issues facing our country. But some people want to remove AM radio from new cars being manufactured, and we cannot let that happen. The Senate Commerce Committee has approved the AM Radio for Every Vehicle Act, Senate Bill 1669, and moved it on for a vote in the full Senate. It also faces action in the U.S. House. Your U.S. Senator and your representative in Congress are in your home state during the annual congressional recess this August. When you see your senator or congressman visiting your community, please tell them you want their support to keep AM radio strong, vibrant, and available to you in your car. This is your opportunity to stand up and be heard. Text AM to 52886. That's AM to 52886 to tell Congress to support AM radio. 
Back in 2013, I had an idea that homeowners like you who are looking for new siding, roofing, or windows might prefer one short meeting with an industry expert instead of three long-winded, high-pressure salespeople trying to push only one product, especially if they end up with three separate quotes either way. Hi, this is Ryan with My Three Quotes. Thanks to you, this is the 10th anniversary of My Three Quotes. I tried to think of a good anniversary special, but then I realized that the service is already free, there's never an obligation to buy, and it's already the easiest possible way to get multiple contractor bids emailed to you without all the hassle. Whether you've already had some bids or are just starting the process, multiple quotes from me are a must with the wide range of prices and quality for siding, roofing, and windows. So let's celebrate 10 years of homeowners doing things the smart and easy way with the best products and installers. Set up an appointment with me today at GetMy3Quotes.com. That's the number three, GetMy3Quotes.com. Welcome back, King Banyan Show. The Biz 1440, thank you for being here today. 651-289-4477, number to call with questions and comments. Hey, I've got to take, I want to take this call from John in Minneapolis. Uh, hey, John, good morning. Thank you for your patience. How are you today? Oh, thank you very much. Very good. I appreciate your time. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get this in earlier, but several weeks ago you had an excellent discussion on e, the topic of ESG investing. Mm-hmm. And I personally agree with the conclusions you made about that. But what I wanted to tell you is, again, the same thing happened that I seem, that seem to see on other occasions. You had the discussion Saturday morning, and sure enough, about three or four days later on Bloomberg, they had somebody on talking about ESG investing. And he uh, had some connection to California, and he thought that ESG in California was just the most perfect thing ever. And he made reference to the fact, is California's GDP about 7% or 17% of the entire U.S. GDP? He, he seemed to feel that ESG investing for California was absolutely the right thing. And uh, uh, he did say that in Texas, where apparently their pension funds can't use that system, he said that Texas actually generates more wind energy than any other state in the country. Um, but I was wondering if you had any comments relating to what he said on uh, regarding California. I might also tell you that last Sunday, there's a Fox TV network show in the morning. It's not cable. It's their regular stations, where they did have about 15 minutes with somebody who I believe his name is Gerald Bernstein. Isn't he the new head of the Council of Economic Advisors? Yes. And he was talking about much of your topic last week and this week. He was talking about how great so-called Biden economics has been. I, I wondered if you heard about that one. I, I haven't heard the Jared Bernstein interview, just taking it in reverse order. Uh, um, but it doesn't surprise me. Uh, the Council of Economic Advisors, which used to be sort of a neutral, we're just going to provide you with good economic advice, but over the last few cycles or few presidencies has become much more of a cheerleading exercise and and which which is what i thought the national economic council was supposed to be i thought the national economic council was the cheerleaders that was the policy shop and the council of economic advisors did some more objective work when i was at a, when i was a young economist back in the 80s i aspired to work at the council of economic advisors i applied three different times uh both during the george hw bush administration and during the uh during the Clinton administration and didn't succeed either time. Um, and, and that should tell you something. Um, that should tell you something, right? Tells you that uh, back then, at least, back in the 80s, that would have been the early 90s. Um, back in the early 90s, it was, uh, it was meant to be just a, a policy place. Look, the reason I wanted you to stick around uh, and, and wanted to take your call was to really talk about the... Uh, Really talk about the um, uh, um, really talk about the uh, what's going on in uh, in the with U.S. debt. ESG, as you point out, 
California is, in fact, 17% of U.S. GDP. ESG investing, standing for environmental, sustainable, and, govern and governance investing, has become a was a buzzword. I think it's actually going into the background um, more recently. Um, uh, um, it's going into the background, and the for this reason, sustainable investing means what, right? So, is, John, you're still there? Yes. Okay, great. John, John, did you hear about this downgrade of U.S. government debt by Fitch this week? Yes, I did. Yes, that affected what did the you, markets. Yeah, what did you think of that? Well, I think they are actually appropriate, personally, that, that our, our level of um, national debt is getting way too high. Uh, we need some plan, as far as I'm concerned, to start paying it down. Did you know that that uh, an e someone following ESG can invest in U.S. government debt? Oh, well, no. The S is for sustainable, right? <laughs> and yet, what we're being told by not just Fitch now two two rating agencies have now graded us down to A to double A plus. Um, is is that? There's a risk that's not sustainable. But, of course, they mean a different kind of sustainability, mm -hmm. right? Their, yes. their sustainability is related to, to, to that. I, I will say I am glad that I'm a member of, you know, if I'm a public pensioner, I would rather be a public pensioner in Texas than in California. And, by the way, it is true. Texas produces a whole lot of wind energy. Why? Because there's a whole lot of wind in Texas. There's just, you know, yeah. it's easy to produce it there. It's easy to produce it in North Dakota. It's easy to produce it in western, in, 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 in western Minnesota. Here's the problem. How do you get it from there to the place you need it when, when you need it? Right? That's right. the problem. Because the wind stops at night and it's darker for longer periods of time. In, in, in the further north in the northern hemisphere you go, um, we have longer winters. Uh, so we don't really get much wind. I mean, practically it doesn't work, but yeah, Texas has more wind. Of course it does, because it's in a it's in a warmer climate. Um, that makes sense. But but back to the back to the sustainability piece, right? And I think I think the way to think about the sustainability is is the way in which Fitch is talking about it is: Are we in fact sustainable in terms of in ter are, is, are we sustainable in terms of actually being able to pay down the debt? I think there's nothing for us to learn here from that. And, and, and by the way, John, thanks for the call. I'm going to let you go because I wanted to turn to this. I wanted to turn to this topic uh, a little bit here to talk about talk about the fact uh, that you know what we've been talking about today has been whether or not is whether or not this wage price spiral is real whether or not we can sustain 4% wage growth and what does it mean for productivity. But these all tie to our ability to pay down our debt. We now currently have, and I tweeted a, a, a snapshot to you from a web from a, a website called Semaphore, a, a pretty good news aggregation site. Um, and one of the things you see there is, right, that... Uh, that the U.S. now has a debt-to-GDP ratio of 121%. Eight of the nine other countries that, that were rated AAA by S&P, Fitch, and Moody's are at 66% or less. Germany's at 66%, Netherlands at 48%, and then the others, in, in, the others Norway, Australia, Sweden, Denmark, Luxembourg, Switzerland, are all between 25 and 43%. The only AAA rated country with more than with more than uh, uh, 121% debt to GDP ratio is Singapore. Right? And so the question is whether or not you can actually be whether or not you would be paid back. And I think you could easily say I think you could easily say that that and I agree with John on this point. There's a reason why that's as high as it is, and maybe it, and it needs to come down. 
part of the way it's coming down is through inflation. I'll tweet to you at the break the uh, John Cochran piece, in which is titled, which is just titled "Fitch is Right." And the reason I wanted John on the call was was the way to think about sustainability is: can I actually pay down this debt? And when you can't pay down the debt, what happens? Well, John Cochran, the professor at uh, Stanford, has come up with this thing called the fiscal theory of the price level, which basically says when the debt gets too high relative to GDP, you get inflation so that you can write down the, the real cost of paying down that debt. So that, But that just means it's just default by a different means. You could default by just crossing your arms and saying, I'm not going to pay you. Or you could default by saying, guess what? Your dollar now pay, buys less, you know, and, and your dollar now buys less, but you still, we and we're going to pay you back in these dollars that buy less than they did before because we're creating inflation. All right. Um, so it's not a formal, def- it's not a formal default. And, but, you know, if you add the debt ceiling shenanigans to the inflation, and then to thinking about the fiscal capacity. And that takes us back to where we were at the beginning of the hour. The fiscal capacity of the United States is a function of the productivity of its economy. This economy grew after World War II. There was a period of time where productivity growth averaged around 2 to 2.5%, which meant you could afford 4% wage increases, 5% wage increases that were non-inflationary, that were consistent with a 2% target. We're not there anymore. That's the reality. And if you choose to lock yourself into a into a world where we're paying 45 and 5% wage increases for, as far as the eye can see, so that we'll have inflation at 3 to 3.5%, that means that we're going to have a slow-rolling inflationary default because we don't have the fiscal capacity to pay down the debt when productivity is only growing at 1% to 1.5%. That is really what sustainability ought to mean, and it's a corruption of language to talk about it in any other way. Debt sustainability is a conversation about the productivity of your economy. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Decisions, decisions, decisions. Retirement is full of them. Tune in to this week's Money Matters with Alan Mike. The guys will be talking about some of the decisions that retirees make that they come to regret later. Whether financial, non-financial, or lifestyle decisions, make them wisely because the stakes are high. Alan Mike have solutions and strategies for you. Make sure you listen to Money Matters with Alan Mike, 2 p.m. Sunday on The Biz 1440, or call them now at 855-231-6010. This is an urgent announcement for anyone that's $10,000 or more in debt. Before you make another minimum payment, you need to know there are special programs that can completely free you of your debt. Total Financial Freedom can help you become debt-free in months instead of years. Resolve your credit card debt, signature loans, department store cards, internet loans, and timeshares. Call now at 800-533-6605 for a free consultation. For 16 years, Total Financial Freedom has helped thousands get out of debt. You can feel confident when calling because Total Financial Freedom is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and a Christian-owned company. Don't get stuck in the endless cycle of payments. You have the right to get your debt resolved and substantially reduce your monthly payments. Call Christian-owned Total Financial Freedom now at 800-533-6605. That's 800-533-6605. 800-533-6605. 
Do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call. Because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at crazy low prices. They have access to great prices and discounts at over 500 different airlines. Plus 300,000 hotels and rental car companies. Their prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find the best price for you. Call SmartFares today and get ready to see the world with a fat wallet. 800-989-0841. That's 800-989-0841. Brighten someone's day with a free e-card from the largest online Christian greeting card site, CrossCards.com. There's one for every occasion, birthdays, holidays, or just to let someone know you care. CrossCards.com is a division of Salem Media Group. Salmon fishing in Alaska at an amusement park in Green Bay or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Tonight there's gonna be a jailbreak somewhere in this town. See me and the boys, we don't like it. Welcome back to King Baggage Show, the Biz 1440. Thank you for being with us today. I'm going to apologize to Larry. I'm not going to get to the BOJ thing because it's just I I need to really summarize this topic, and uh, I'm, I did I didn't I I thought I'd get to it today, but I didn't. I ran out of time. Uh, apologize, but let me let me summarize what it is we are. Well, maybe it plays a little bit to this. A little bit of the issue with the BOJ is that is that if now Japanese bonds will pay more, they will compete in terms of yield, they will compete with U.S. bonds. We saw a run-up in rates this week where the, the 10-year Treasury started to, started to go all the way to like 4.2, 4.25% percent yield to maturity which surprises which caught some people by surprise but i think is the result of the fact that that japanese investors invested a lot in u.s treasuries after china japan much smaller country is the largest investor in u.s foreign investor in u.s government debts china then japan and then everybody else um that is that and part of the reason why Japan invests so much is their bonds paid nothing and our bonds were paying even when they were paying 2%, 2% was better than zero. When they went to 4%, the Japanese just piled into the trade. Said I want to own US government securities. And I'm okay and it's and so drove down the value of the yen, drove up the value of the dollar, et cetera, et cetera. If the U.S. government is seen as being less creditable, as less sustainable, and at the same time, the Japanese decide, Japanese central bank decides, you know, we're going to let the rate on JGBs go to 1% rather than a half percent. That will cause a whole lot of unwinding of that trade. They'll get out of U.S. Treasuries. They'll get into JGBs. And so T's will go up in yield. JGBs will start to go back away from the 1% limit. And that, in fact, happened. And it will cause the dollar to depreciate relative to the yen. All that is going on, right? What What's remarkable about that is the fact that the stock market still does well in that environment, I find interesting. But let me go back to the comment I made before, okay, which is, which is the fundamental point here. The sustainability of U.S. debt, the creditworthiness of, a, of an economy, is, is fundamentally a statement about its productivity. Can the U.S. economy produce enough so that it can generate enough 
let's say it, tax revenue to pay off all of the debt that it issues. If your debt-to-GDP ratio is 121%, you need to figure out a way in which you can grow so that you can pull in enough additional money. Now, there are other ways you could do it. You can simply tax your citizens more. What's nice, what, what, is, what is nice in my head is, is a comment that was made many years ago, which continues to be functionally true. The U.S. government is able to collect about 19% of GDP, and to use the phrase my friend used at the time, come hell, high water, or little green people. It'll vary a little bit. It'll go down temporarily to maybe a 17 and temporarily go up to a 21, but on average, 19 is a pretty good number. 18, 19, somewhere in there. So if you start to think to yourself, to pay off all the debt that's out there, we have to tax people at 25%, that's a fundamental change in the way the economy works. And that's what makes inflation more likely, because if you can't pay them back through raising taxes, then you're going to use the inflation tax to do the job. And that's fundamentally what John Cochran's piece that I just uh, tweeted to you using the hashtag pound KBRS says to you. In that world, I have to end up agreeing. I tweeted. I made a mistake. My initial reaction was, well, what's Fitch looking at? What changed? Everything they're talking about is stuff we've known for years. What's going on? I had forgotten that Standard & Poor's downgraded us during one of the other debt crises almost 10 years ago and never put back the AAA rating. So of the three rating agencies, Moody's, S&P, and Fitch, we for years have had one at AA plus and two at AAA. We now have one at AAA and two at AA plus. I don't think that says very much directly. But to think to yourself that sustainability, um, um, to name it to sustainability to to talk about sustainability in this way is to talk about it in the way in which an economist should think about it. You need to you need to look at the sustainability in terms of our ability to pay down the debt and if not what's going to happen to that debt. And that fundamental ability is a function of productivity. Okay? And and frankly, productivity might define where wages are. But it isn't productivity saying that productivity doesn't tell me what the inflation rate is going to be. Productivity tells me whether or not I have to have inflation to pay down the debt. That's the fun, that fundamentally is what the fiscal theory of the price level is trying to say. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, it, the jobs report was good, not great. The Fitch thing was kind of important. And hopefully what you learned about more was about productivity. Uh, thanks, Spencer, for your work down at the Mothership, and we'll talk to you again next week here on the King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Summer means road construction in Minnesota. If you're behind the wheel, work zone safety is part of your job, too. Slow down in work zones. Remember, slower speeds save lives. Put away distractions and keep your eyes focused on the road. Move over when you can to give crews more room to work. When we all work together, everyone gets home safely. This message brought to you by the Minnesota Department of Transportation, the Minnesota Broadcasters Association, and this station. Jim and I knew of Robbinsdale Women's Center, but didn't really know them until we toured. We were astonished by the amazing facilities and the genuine love and care the staff showed each woman that walked through the doors. That tour began our partnership with Robbinsdale Women's Center. Cindy and I have witnessed RWC's fiscal stewardship of our financial gifts. Being on the board has allowed me to see the careful discernment and prayerful thought that goes into every decision at Robbinsdale Women's Center. RWC receives no government funding and is debt-free. RWC owns all their assets and is 100% donor-supported. We're amazed at the number of abortion-minded women they serve. Weekly, five women initially at risk of aborting their pregnancies, instead choose life. Join Cindy and I in supporting Robbinsdale Women's Center. Your gift will bring hope and life.
Go to rwcinfo.org and help more mothers choose life. Let's make a difference. rwcinfo.org. All of us love sports, but not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets, dedicated alumni networks, and corporate sponsorships. Professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much, but it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. Minnesota High School Sports. They're good for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. Cable news. Noisy, out of touch, on repeat. Tired of all the lookalikes? So are we. Salem News Channel is here to change the game. Streaming 24-7, free on your TV, with the greatest collection of conservative voices. Home to Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Like you, we say what's wrong and what's right. Unfiltered and unapologetic. Salem News Channel. We're the answer to the mainstream media. Learn more at snc.tv. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.